This is the Studio Alchemy Podcast, episode 111, an interview with mixed media painter Luke Buchanan. My quote of the day for you was written by the author Henry Miller. He said, to paint is to love again. It's only when we look with eyes of love that we see as the painter sees. His is a love which is free of possessiveness. What the painter sees, he is duty-bound to share. Usually, he makes us see and feel what ordinarily we ignore. His manner of approaching the world tells us that nothing is vile or hideous, nothing is stale, flat, or unpalpable, unless it is our own power of vision. To see is not merely to look. Hello, everyone. The purpose of this podcast is to explore creative ways to transform our lives using the artistic process. Alchemy was the ancient study of changing materials from one thing into another, and we all do this every day. Every choice you make is transforming our world. On this podcast, we hunt for the wise balance between accepting what is and taking empowered action. My name is Addie Hirschen. I am an artist. I teach art classes, and I've written a few books, including my latest book, The Alchemy of Symbols. And you can find out more about my projects, classes, and sign up for my art newsletter at studioalchemy.art. And now for our topic of the day, which is my interview with Luke Buchanan. So to describe Luke's work for you, what he often does is he will take photographs and he will splice them and put several different images onto a canvas and then he'll add words and magazine images and other things layered on it and then he'll paint on top of that and the places that he will focus on honoring if you will through these pieces are not not the usual idyllic scene that we see so often in you know your standard landscape painting it, it's back alleyways and parking lots and places that you might if you were just driving by you might just pass by quickly and not appreciate it for its beauty and i think one of the things that i'm gleaning from luke's work is that those back alleyways have a beauty. They, there is something there that he, he's trying to call attention to. And I'm also pulling from it a life lesson that I'd like to take away <laughs> that, you know, Luke and I are both from Raleigh, North Carolina. And when I was a teenager, I had a couple of bad things happen. And then I decided, okay, the whole town sucks. I'm just gonna run away. And I feel like one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to learn and apply to my own life is that if you can see 
the beauty even in this funny little back alleyway, you can see it anywhere. You know, you can redirect the way you think about things so that you can appreciate them more. And I would like to appreciate the beauty of Raleigh, North Carolina. And also I'd like to say before this, this interview that the, the, the things that we're, we talk about in it, like our, our friend Jackson Griffin, and you'll hear that story in a moment, but it's, um, it's all so fucking important to me. <laughs> like, like of all the interviews I've done, like this is so, so personally meaningful and it's a good stuff and it's a good conversation and I, I deeply appreciate it. And so, all right. Without further ado, here's my interview with Luke. Luke Buchanan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to chat with you again. <clears throat> For our listeners, I want to share the backstory of how I found you and reconnected with you as it as it is because we went to middle school together. Yeah, but right. I don't remember you. Uh, and, but you saw my picture and said, oh, you seem familiar. So, um, well, yeah, I, I save everything. And so I still had the yearbook and, uh, what, you know, and seeing you in person now, um, I was a little hazy, but once I saw your picture in the yearbook, I, I don't know, I've got a pretty good memory. I definitely, it all came back. Oh. I don't think we were, we were never really like very good friends or anything, but you know, you go to same school with somebody for three years like you you see him a lot okay yeah indeed and so um to share the backstory okay so when luke and i were in middle school we went to martin middle school in raleigh north carolina and um we had a mutual good friend whose name was jackson griffin and jackson was a very good friend of mine because he was in a lot of my classes um I, I even thought like maybe we had like a similar cognitive level or because <laughs> the same math and the same english and that kind of thing. but uh so i got to know jackson really really well and we were like, goofy friends like we had, like i don't know we i we liked sharing goofy type jokes together um yeah and uh, and then I won't share the whole story, but I will share that I had a falling out with Jackson because he asked me a question in front of a bunch of other people. Um, and then I didn't respond well and it hurt his feelings. And, and then um, he and I drifted apart. And, and I was uh, at that time really sad that I had botched my friendship with him um so badly and didn't know a good way to repair it um well you were young thank you thank you Luke um yeah I was young and then then Jackson and I went to different high schools and so I just saw him like one other time in high school at a party across the room from each other, that sort of thing. And then um, Hurricane Fran happened and 
in Raleigh, when Fran hit in 96, it was a really big deal because there was a lot of damaged trees. Like we lost power for four days. My parents, um, they live on Yatesville Pond Road. So I lived on Yatesville Pond Road at the time. And the just to give an idea of like the damage uh, that from the flooding, um, the dam to the mill was broken and it flooded out the whole area and took a long time to repair that. And then a couple of weeks later, I was at my friend Kara Gentili's house and um, and we're in her bedroom. And I think my friend Melissa Edmondson was there as well. I'm not sure about that, but there were several people there. And suddenly somebody said, oh, did you hear that they found his body? And um, and and I said, what were you talking about? What body? And they said, oh, you know, Jackson drowned. Um, hadn't you heard? And because I went to a different school, I, I hadn't. And um, and it was, you know, of course, very upsetting. And I ended up not really grieving in a very, um, what you might call a like good talk therapy sort of a way. Like I just internalized it. And, and it has given me a lot of sadness over the years or just like I've had nightmares about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a very traumatic event for, uh, you know, someone at that developmental stage, you know, no matter how you're connected to it, um, when you're 17 yeah. years old, people dying, it's your grandparents or, you know, uh, it's on TV or a movie. It's not yeah. your peers. Yeah. 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 And my daughter is 17 now and she doesn't, she's never lost anyone, you know. Hopefully um, she won't think, for a long time. Yeah. I think it just make a difference in one's life. But, um, but so, but for me, it, it was sort of an old wound that I never really healed properly or never, just never talked to anybody about it. And then this past year, I've been thinking a lot about Raleigh, North Carolina and all my memories of there because I'm going to be moving back. And and so one morning, gosh, it was like maybe in September or August, something like that. I was having my morning coffee and it was like a lazy Saturday morning. And I said to myself, you know what, I'm just going to look up Jackson um maybe I can find an obituary or something. And I just felt like um, maybe I wanted to see his face. Maybe I could find something. So I Googled uh, Jackson Griffin, um, Raleigh, North Carolina, 1996. And then um, I did not find an obituary, but I did find several articles about you, about Luke. And then, and then these, then I was just blown away because there were all these things about the story and things that had happened that I didn't know. And then I, and I learned how you had created this mural um, along the creek about Hurricane Fran and other hurricanes. And it really made sense to me. And even just the way in which 
you have become an artist, it it resonated with me and it really it 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 just got, it got me all excited and I and I said, oh my gosh, I've got to talk to you about my memories of Jackson, and um, and felt compelled to do so. So I messaged you and then you said, sure, come meet me at my studio. And so I got to go to Luke's studio in the Anchor Light Studios. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, and he showed me all around and shared me with me these great photos of Jackson, which was so wonderful to see. Um, I had actually, at one point, I wanted to get rid of a lot of my memories of Raleigh. So I had gotten rid of my yearbooks many years ago. I can't remember if I told you that part. Oh, no. But um, but now I regret getting rid of them. Um, but luckily, you still have them. So we can look at them together at some point. But... Oh, yeah. I'm, I am the opposite. I, I have a very hard time throwing things away. So luckily, I've got my house and my studio and uh, some filing systems. <laughs> oh, yeah. You file it? You keep it organized? Uh, not like, um, I don't really actually have a filing system other than, you know, like goes with like. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. So, so yeah, so that's, that's the main heart of the story. I don't know if there's more that you want to add, Luke, or. Um, well, I'll just say that, you know, I, I, you contacted me and, um, it's a very special part of my life. It's very important. I've never been um, hesitant to speak about it because uh, I like to honor his memory. He was very important to me. And, you know, if, if there's somebody out there yourself that, you know, wants to talk about my friend, well, I want to talk about it too, because, you know, it's been a long time, but he's still very much alive, I think, in my heart and in very many other people's hearts. And so, it was really nice to connect. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So thank you. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah also, so I'm like his biggest fan. So I'm just glad, you know, when I hear people um, remember him and, and to hear that he was a part of people's lives, it makes me really happy. Yeah. Nice. That's good. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Well, let's get into our questions that are more just like regular podcast questions for people and that is the story of how you became an artist starting with that like how did that happen so i mean you know i i don't really know how you become an artist to be totally honest i in reference to what we were just talking about i saw a documentary about william eggleston um years ago which was phenomenal i wish i could remember the name of it and recommend it or how to find it but just look for a documentary on william and liston um he's a huge inspiration like one of my favorite artists but you know he was also known as like a pioneer slash the father of like color photography and i started off as a photographer so it's not surprising that he's one of my big influences but in the documentary he said you know he'd been a photographer for a long time and then his father died and he said his whole world collapsed. And he said at that time, um, it would be in the documentary, it would be interesting to look at artists and to see how many of them could trace their origins back to a time when they said, my whole world collapsed. 
And I look at this in retrospect because that's not why I became an artist. It is, I was always very artistic. I was always very creative. Um, you know, I feel like I was born with a pencil in my hand, like drawing and mostly drawing, honestly, was the early part of my um, artistic development, I will get to say. Um, but that was what was available to me. I had a lot of downtime in classes growing up. Um, they would say, you know, you can just draw until the end of the day or whatever. And I would just draw. I came across photography later in life and, uh, and with Jackson that we were just talking about, like we were both skateboarders and we would, I really liked the idea of uh, skateboard photography. It was very dynamic and really fun. Like, and, you know, I would read like Thrasher magazine and, um, you know, Transworld skateboarding and all these things. And I would always love the, the photographs they would show of people doing skate tricks. So I started taking photographs like that. And so if you look at my work, you'll see their, um, you know, photographs in sequence that are kind of tied together. Um, and to you know, name drop another artist, David Hockney did the a similar thing of taking a lot of photographs of a single thing and combining them all together. At that time, I had I had never heard the name David Hockney, although he's now one of my favorite artists. But um, I really just got the idea from skateboard magazines, and I started making these photo collages um, of old buildings that really interested me. Um, I ended up going to the uh, school of design here at NC State and studying architecture. And I had a very wonderful teacher who is still, who I consider my mentor today, Lope Max Diaz. And one day I brought him one of my photo collages and I said, I want to paint this. And I had never really been a painter, um, but I, you know, he was a painter and I admired him and still do. And I said, I wanted to paint this. And he said, well, why would you want to paint these pictures when you already have these great photographs of them? And that turned a light on in my head. And, um, and then I realized I wanted to incorporate the photography into the painting. And through the years, I've kind of stuck with this idea of documenting a space a time, a place, a real, you know, point on the spinning globe, um, and then investigating that and using painting as a way to explore the human interaction into space, into the, the, the built world, you know. And I, you know, I finished out my degree in the school of architecture and I realized I didn't want to sit and have a keyboard and a mouse in front of me and do AutoCAD drawings for the rest of my life. And um, what first brought me to design was, you know, drawing. And so I, I, I decided to, to, to be a painter and to give it a shot and to be an artist. And my attitude about it was always, you know, some people, a lot of people try to do this and a lot of people, uh, don't make it or give up, but I'm not a quitter and I am still doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can tell you love it. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. I'm curious more about the place. <clears throat> you know, so much of your work, as you were just saying, it's documenting one particular spot, one location, like the uh Joe parking lot in the One Piece, and where so many different things can happen. When you're creating one of these location pieces, I'll call them, um, like, are you thinking about your own memories there? Are you, you know, imagining yeah. what might have happened there? Are you, um, like, do you do, do you do any sort of a, like, history, like, you try to find out what happened, or... Well, so that's interesting because when I was in the architecture program, one of my favorite things to do when you're building, you know, if you're going to be an architect and you're going to be building things, one of the early stages is site research. You look at, you know, basic things like where does the sun come up in the sunset? Where does, you know, how does rain water drain from the site? But it's also like what's nearby and how do people interact with this space and what used to be here and you know and i always really liked that even like going back and saying like a hundred years ago this used to be you know something different a thousand years and then i started thinking you know a thousand years ago this was here you know ten thousand years ago this was here a hundred thousand years ago this corner that is now the cup of joe parking lot it was you know it still existed mm -hmm. um and so you know the the idea of what else happened here becomes so humongous that there's not really any way for me to imagine any specifics. So then I kind of go back to, I don't know, non-specifics, maybe vagaries. Like I can't even imagine how much has happened in this space today, not this week, this year and then you know taking that all the way back to the the dawn of time and so instead of trying to document necessarily like i said maybe earlier that i catalog some of my own history but like i can't catalog all of that history and so i try to i try to use um try to be more universal and try to be more vague and allow the idea is that the viewer becomes they find themselves in that space they're looking at a painting on a wall but it is a memory for them and even if they've never actually been there most most of these places are run down you know industrial areas bridges railroad tracks stairways utilitarian not necessarily designed with an aesthetic in mind but they're familiar and because they're familiar people have experienced places if not that specific place places like them and they put themselves into the painting and and then it's their space and that's the goal really to share that idea with someone by letting them enter this place and hopefully take the time to say well someone like someone decided this was like worth painting a picture of like mm -hmm. why and what am i missing maybe or what or 
And I'll be honest, like not everybody wants to take that leap or maybe even thinks that way, but um, some people do. And those people are who I'm painting for. Okay. Yeah. You like the neglected places, maybe. Is that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's not so much neglected. It's, uh, it's that they're, it's more like unappreciated. Like, you know, okay. they're, they're the in-between places. They're not where you're going, you know, they're like how you got there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm imagining that like, if you went to Paris, that you wouldn't be doing a painting of the Eiffel Tower. You would find some funny back alleyway that's really quirky and I mean, sure. I went to Paris, and I didn't oh. do and and I didn't do any like when I was a you know a younger man. And like, if I was going to tell you my the thing that I remember the most about my time there was uh, the inside of uh, Notre Dame, like, and how mm -hmm. it was the summertime, and I didn't bring a jacket, and I was, and all of a sudden I wasn't, I didn't even think about the temperament, and I was in. France and it was cold yeah <laughs> and I was by myself and I went into you know I was an architecture student I went into Notre Dame and it was so okay. warm and it just felt so good in there and I was like oh like this is what architecture can do for a human being you know like that space the inside of it you know that's what was really like very uh, affecting to me versus there's enough paintings probably of Notre Dame. I don't really need to add mm. to that. Mm. Yeah. It's like it's like you want to adopt the um or take under your wing the the spots that aren't as appreciated and so people don't see their beauty. And you are really drawn to the like how would we call it? Like a scruffy aesthetic like the worn down things why is that why the sign behind you that's so that's uh so worn and loved um i think because maybe it references like the monotony of like day-to-day -day life like to an individual you know like you go through the same routine every day um you know you do the same things every day But tying it back into what we started talking about, you know, like every day could be your last day and you never really know, like having experienced that kind of loss in my life. Um, it's this day is important. And if this day was like sitting at the DMV all day, no one's really going to do a painting of that. And I'm myself, I'm probably not going to ever paint the inside of a DMV, but but these are the spaces that we occupy and we are human beings and, you know, basically the spaces don't change. We do. Um, the architecture might change uh, how you experience like this point on the globe is different than someone, you know, a hundred years ago, but we still all share the, the same humanity and everybody laughs and cries and, feels similar things throughout their lives. And, and that's what, I don't know. I, I feel like that's what art is about. That's what art is 
for connecting people and um, connecting people on their, their true feelings. If you're doing it right. I don't know. That's what I try to do is kind of get to the heart of it. Mm -hmm. Nice. I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes by Oscar Wilde. Um, he said, one does not see anything until one sees its beauty. And so I think what he was saying with that is that you sometimes have to just shift the way you are looking at an object or a person or, or anything in order to appreciate it and see the gracefulness behind it or, or the value that it might have. And I'm wondering if that, if that resonates with you, I mean, do you think there are things that they are just ugly? <laughs> and, like, and so you just never, you aren't going to appreciate the beauty or do you think you could see it in anything? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I talked about this in that, um, with that Friday morning creative mornings thing about like, I don't really think things are ugly. Um, I think that like, you know, like, sometimes things can be like kind of gross, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, ugliness to me, I, I feel like is more like an attitude and it's more um, about how people treat each other than mm -hmm. like uh, aesthetic. Now, I mean, like I've seen some horrendous paintings, you know, I've seen like, you know, terrible artwork and, you know, heard horrible songs and I don't, I would never like tell the person that made them like you're terrible at this, you know, like if, 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 if they, if it came from a true place, because right. you know, like you might not have the ability to express what you were trying to express, but everybody like deserves to have a voice. Yes. But I, but at the same time, I've seen people who were not formally trained uh, or self-taught in some ways create beautiful music and create beautiful art and aesthetics aside, like if it comes from a true place and it's a real feeling, it's, you know, it's not necessarily for me to judge, to judge if it's beautiful or not. I don't think that terms like beauty, beautiful or ugly really, um, apply to artists um it's i'm not trying to make something that is beautiful i'm trying to maybe document something that i find beautiful and if something is ugly to me it's not really uh something that would fixate on and or spend mm -hmm. my time to try to honor in that way but again it's you know a sewer drain or a you know a moldy piece of fruit might, might still have some beautiful colors or a really nice composition. If you take away the, uh, you know, the, the way that you, uh, encountered it, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And the mold might have life in it. You might, uh, well, it is life. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they're like very like pretty colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did a series once that was this is back when I was in college but they were just taking the lines that I'd found of cracks in the sidewalk and then making 
abstract paintings from them. So just trying to mimic that natural form because I, I think there is, I think that's getting at what you're saying too here, that there's some a real beauty in that's in the naturalness of it. Yeah, I mean there's there's uh you know there's beauty there's beauty in nature and then you know there's sometimes where you like approach like the sublime you know and mm -hmm. and that's that's what we're I mean that's what we're aiming for right I mean that's to 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 be able to like capture that feeling of like sunset at the Grand Canyon you know like you're never going to do a painting that's as good as that like i'm sorry i don't care who you are and i don't think that any painter would disagree with me like there's you the best you can do is try to capture like that in your from your own eyes or your own vision or, and then include maybe some of yourself in it uh as a duplication or a you know a an attempt um but that attempt is in itself beautiful and that I think is where the term beautiful is more applicable than as a term to describe the aesthetics of something. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think sometimes artwork can be striving to what depict an ideal, like the ideal flower, that, you know, ideal sunset. Um, and, um, and yeah, I'm with you that it's, even just attempting to capture it, it shows us a lot about what we value or what we think of as beautiful. Okay, so I wrote down a funny question for you and I'm gonna try to articulate it here. So I wanna ask you like, how important do you think it is to remember the past when you're making decisions about the future? And I guess, the reason I I wanted to ask you this, Luke, is because it's like like I think of you as kind of a sentimental person. Like you, like you love memory and you love you know these things we've been talking about about the place and and honoring the place and and all of that. Like how how important do you think that is, or how how much do you really look back? in order to know what you're going to do next honestly i don't think that i i think that i do that in the in the studio and like okay. in my paintings but not necessarily like in my day-to-day -day life um okay. you know i'm i'm always happy to meet a new friend or you know try a new restaurant or go to a new place and you know i don't i think as far as like memories and like sentiment to that uh, sentimentality like it's more so like knowledge like I know I don't like this or I know I don't want to go there or you know I've learned these things about um, myself and the world around me um, mm. but I don't try to relive the past um, I mm. try I mean it definitely affects my work very much so but mm. that's kind of why I do the work is to is to have an outlet for that so that I'm not you know just living the same day over and over again mm. how do you feel about so I I live in a historic house right now 
and it's it's like under two different covenants like so i can't there's a lot i can't do to my house um and it uh it was actually two houses one was built in 1890 and this one was built in like 1870 we think um so you know the exterior of my house is it's it's constantly rotting and i'm not allowed to really touch it like i can patch and i can it, but but like really there's whole sections that should come off and <laughs> because um yeah i saw a bee go in last year and that kind of scared me a little bit um so i haven't dealt with that but uh but But so there's this push and pull in the in the community that I live in. It's like some of them are like, yeah, you you don't touch it. You just maintain it the way it was. And uh, it's got to be there for all time when this is a pretty flimsy little house made of sticks, you know. And then um, and then there's an other faction in my neighborhood. They're like, you should just tear them down and build new ones. Yeah, I don't know if you have any opinions about that kind of a thing. <laughs> Um, yes, I do. I myself, I, I recently bought the building that I'm in right now and it's a four unit apartment building in a historic neighborhood in Raleigh that's over a hundred years old. Um, it's almost all original. I recently had a roof, re like a new roof put on it and it still had the original like roof decking, um, from a hundred years ago, like. very cool and i love it i don't think that that's how everybody should or wants to live um i you know from an architecture standpoint i think that you know mixed use like housing especially in like dense urban environments is a better use of that space i don't really want to get into what i think about how the city of raleigh is handling that challenge right now but um in an ideal world you know we would have uh a mixture of new uses for uh obsolete spaces um for the you know the trials of the time um but i think holding on to again like i said like i don't think that you need to live the same day every day but like holding on to our past uh You know, you don't have to be like holding on to our past is uh, something you should, you know, to quote 38 special, you should hold on loosely. Right. It's it's Okay. it's important. It's important, but it's not all that is important. Um, I love this building. I love living in this old house. I love thinking about other people that might have lived here and experiences. I feel like it has an energy to it that I uh, appreciate. Uh, but some people that have lived here just needed a place to live, you know, and they didn't care at all if they scratched up the hardwood floors, you know, uh, and that's fine because that's life and that's humans are, you know, we're all just trying to make it. Everybody's trying to do their best. And, and uh, I'm glad that it, that I, that I can, be a part of it and I'm hopefully going to keep it 
as it is for a long time. Well, all around, literally all around me, there's like seven story, like super condo complexes going up. Those people need a place to live as well. I wish they were more affordable. I wish they were more approachable to working class, like, and like lower economic classes. I wish they cared more about keeping a place for uh, workers. Um, but in my own small way, like this building, like I recently, like I said, I recently bought it and all of the tenants are friends of mine that are in the hospitality industry and it's very close to downtown. It's a very like prime piece of real estate, but I only intend to rent it to people who um, need it, you know, like, I've loved being able to walk to work and still like live in a nice area. And I think that again, not to get too far into like city planning stuff, but like everybody, I think everybody deserves that. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as far as it, like your original question, like I don't think things should be just torn down and rebuilt every few years, but I think that there's better ways to use space than how we are using it in some areas. But I also think that keeping like, if there's a bunch of really giant trees somewhere, let's, let's leave that. Let's tear down like the ugly, like strip mall and build some uh, affordable housing there instead of like clearing a forest and making a condominium complex. Right. Yes. Mm, nice. Okay. My next question for you is, so you created one huge mural in Raleigh that looks like a fire escape maze. And this I found impressive partially because I have a fear of heights. And so I've never gone on, like, I've never done the scaffolding thing. Like I've done small murals, sure. <laughs> you know? but um, I guess one of my questions was, what was it like to make this huge mural um, but another is why were you drawn to the symbol of the stairs? Um, and I could see there's something at the top, like like a little red flag or something. I couldn't tell what was going on at the top of the piece. Um, so at the very top of the mural, there's a window and there's a man inside the window. And the idea is that that person is going to use the fire escape to get out. Um, the fire escape itself is a maze in a kind of shoots and ladders kind of way. So okay. the window at the top is the starting point. And then the ladder at the very bottom is the, the, the finishing point. So okay. the idea for that was that I, you know, I wanted, uh, if there was kid, you know, my idea, like if there's kids coming to visit the Capitol they might see it and they might be able to participate and try to do the maze. Um, if I'm going to take up this big space, like I want people to engage with it. And honestly, I care more about like how a, a child would engage with it than I do about how like one of my like peers would, um, because, you know, children have like wonder and they are, you know, they have a lot of potential and they can, they might see that and maybe one day they want to be a painter. Um, but the, uh, the idea of the staircase, it was mostly because Raleigh doesn't have a lot of um fire escapes it's because of the you know the makeup of the soil like mostly sand and clay there wasn't really ever a lot of very tall buildings so there wasn't really a need for 
um, that for fire escapes. But in other cities, I always really loved seeing the different like uh, choices. People, you know, you go to like the Lower East Side of New York, and you can see like um, many different takes on fire escape. Um, but you know, some are very ornate, some are very like. And there was that big blank wall, and my friend James that commissioned the mural, he said, you know, you can do whatever you want, and I just felt like it was something that was absent from the city was these fire escapes. And then it was, and I just also always loved mazes. So I just thought it was like a, a combination of the two was a nice way to fill that space. Okay. Okay. And the person at the top getting out of the window is Hans Moleman from the Simpsons. Um, and if you're anybody listening to this, likes the Simpsons, they know who Hans Moleman is, but He's kind I of always getting Simpsons, himself. I don't remember yeah. that character. Who's that? He's character? like the old man. He's like he's always kind of trying to. He kind of gets himself into bad situations, and uh, okay. and so in the context of the mural, it was like, how is he going to get out of here? Um, okay. And then my client, I mean, my friend who commissioned it, uh, he and I met because we bonded over a shared love of The Simpsons. So that was just kind of a, okay. a special <laughs> nod to him. Yeah, I think my favorite Simpsons episode is the one where Homer, he gets a time machine and then he keeps going back. And But but I love, I love oh, yeah. time machine sci-fi yeah, stuff a anyway. Treehouse of Horror episode. Oh, oh, you know the title? <laughs> well, it was one of the Halloween episodes, which are always called the Treehouse of Horror. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember it. I know them all. Okay. <laughs> Funny. Um, I have a random question for you, and it's partially I'm asking it because I I'm intrigued when artists have you know they have other jobs that they do and that maybe those jobs complement what they do or maybe they don't complement at all. Maybe it's just like I do this thing and that's my what my friend Victoria calls an anchor job. Like this is what I earn money doing, and then. Um, and then I have my artwork and it, you know, I've seen friends crash and burn where they like tried to be professional and, um, and to only take in money from artwork, which is, which is difficult, you know? So I love hearing when people have other jobs that they do, that they like doing. And, um, and I know you, so you work as a bartender and you like it and you didn't want to sit at a desk like you said right yeah i love so, my job yeah so like what is it that you like about your job i mean is it creative like are you able to be creative or is it like oh no i just go and i just do the thing and then then you go to your creative space and they're totally separate worlds i mean to be honest like it is part of it i just go and do the thing as far as like some days I don't want to go to work, but I do. Okay. But, but I don't want to, I've, I've definitely had jobs where like I sat in the parking lot and had to like steal myself like, okay, oh, got to yeah. go to work now. Yeah. You know? and, this, yeah. and my job at pools has never been like that. Um, okay. You know, I might not feel good or I might, you know, be tired or just stressed out and, you know, wish I didn't have to go to work, but 
honestly, I love interacting with people and meeting people and helping them. Uh, it's simple, but it, it it's also like, it's so simple that it is kind of beautiful. Again, coming back to that same term, like uh, somebody might be having like the worst day of their life and then they, they just need to eat or they need a drink or they need to sit still for 30 mm -hmm. minutes, you know, and they need a glass of water, you know, and, and me in that role, I'm, I'm here to help you and I'm here to provide that for you and also to guide you to, to get what you need right now. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, hopefully you've gotten what you needed. Ideally, you've gotten more than that. And to have that experience with a stranger or even like a regular or a lot of the people that have come in there have become like my very best friends. Um, it's an honor to be a part of someone else's day. And I think that that ties back into why I paint the things that I paint, why I focus on these, like you said, like neglected spaces. It's not, it's not because, I don't know. It's, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here, <laughs> to be honest, you know, and like, and I'm glad that, I'm glad that like, I was, you know, you're, people come in and they celebrate their anniversary and it's like, they've been married for 20 years and here we are like the three of us celebrating your anniversary, you know, and I'm pouring the wine and I'm like lighting the candle on the cake, but you know, but I'm, I'm contributing to like an important memory and an experience for these people. Mm -hmm. And that's very special. I don't know. Like if, you know, you throw a party for your friend, like for their birthday, because you love them. Like you throw a party for a stranger, like every night, you kind of got to love people, you know, like, and there's mm -hmm. some, there's bad experiences too. Like, and sure. as, as long, you know, this isn't a hospitality podcast, but like, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. But for mm -hmm. me, um, and working with the people that I work with, working with Ashley like it's mostly good and it's mostly mm -hmm. good people and the best is when you have the experience of dealing with someone who is maybe being rude or maybe not at their best and by being kind and by being you know understanding after an hour or two hour and a half they say hey i'm sorry i was kind of a, a jerk when i sat down and you're like it's okay you know like you were hungry or you were tired or you were whatever and like and mm -hmm. you know kill them with kindness kind of thing like mm -hmm. don't don't let that energy um you know you don't don't reflect that back to them like mm -hmm. i don't know for me and then i take that and then i go to the studio where i'm alone where i paint by myself and that is like, you know, in a way I'm recharging in the studio and in another okay. way I'm like getting that out, you know?
okay. kind of trading it off. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I don't know. I can't say that this would work for any other person, but for me, I found the balance that works for me and makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Okay. So my last question for you. So I recently finished a book that's on symbolism. Do you have a favorite symbol or a tattoo that you've gotten that's has your favorite symbol or? Yeah, I don't necessarily. I thought about this a lot because you sent me the questions, but I, I don't really, I don't know that I really care about symbolism. I care about numbers. Um, huh. I like math a lot, but like, I don't know that like symbols really carry a lot of weight with me. Okay. Um, but but num numbers, numbers do. Numbers are symbols. I mean, why why are you drawn sure. to numbers? Yeah. Well, that yeah. Um, well, partially because like at an early part of my career, my aforementioned mentor, Lope Max Diaz, said, you know, when you have numbers in your paintings, like people are going to ask what does that mean and you should have an answer for that question like if it if it means nothing why is it there you know if it so it's going to be there make it mean something and so you know there's i also like the idea of uh i try to put um circles like bisected circles in my paintings a lot with the idea of the, you know, the ratio of the diameter to the circumference of a circle being pi mm -hmm. and pi being, as far as we, anybody knows, an infinite number. If an infinite number exists, that means that the concept of infinity exists. And if infinity exists, then that means that everything exists. And I don't know, it kind of breaks your brain if you, if you really try to think about it. But that is in a way humbling to kind of bring you back to saying like, I can't understand everything. I can't do everything. Let me focus on like what I, I can do and what I like, you know, and then going back to the restaurant, you know, like I can help this person right now. You know, I can't help everybody, um, mm. you know, in a painting, like I can, I can, I'm going to paint this place that other people haven't maybe taking the time to acknowledge, but by painting it, I make it special. And mm -hmm. there's one more place that has been honored, you know, drop in the bucket, but we're all doing our best, right? Right, right. Did you ever consider leaving Raleigh, North Carolina? I, I mean, I've left, um, I love to travel. Uh, I love being in other places. Um, but as far as going to live somewhere else, not really. Um, my family is here and mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people have, you know, a lot of people don't have great families. I do. And mm -hmm. I'm very lucky, but I'm, I know that I'm lucky and, and I don't want to be, that far away from them. I like to see my family, like my mom and dad, my sister, and my brother, like my nieces and nephews. Like I love being around them. Like I love, like people like complain about like, 
oh, I got to go home for Christmas or I got to go home for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm like, we get to spend all day together, you know, and mm -hmm. I feel really lucky to have that. And I don't I wouldn't want to be on the other side of the world and have to like see my mom and dad like once a year. Also, as a child, we as a family moved around a lot. Like I was born in New Jersey, grew up in California, ended up growing up in Raleigh, like from about when we met in middle school. And I think I moved around enough to be like everybody everywhere is kind of the same. I don't know how much you've traveled, <laughs> at least in like the United States, like everywhere is kind of the same. It mostly, you know, it's mostly like the weather and the bands that come through. And uh, luckily, <laughs> there's enough cool people in Raleigh that a lot of good bands come through. And until yeah. this month, the weather's been pretty nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like uh, 14 degrees here and there's snow on the ground. Yeah, I think it's 30 here, but that's basically like Antarctica for North Carolina. Right. Yes. People's like pipes are bursting and... It's crazy. My cats are currently sleeping with their faces buried in the space heater. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, Luke, thank you for chatting with me. I look forward to seeing you again in the future. Is there anything else that they you'd like to share or thoughts before I stop the recording? No, I just appreciate, um, I appreciate you too. And, uh, you know, when you contacted me, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, like it, it was, uh, it's when, a when a friend of my friend approaches me and says like, Hey, I really like cared about this person. I know you do too. Like, that's a pretty easy way to my heart. You know, like I really love, uh, I really love people and I, I'm really proud of um, my friends and my community, and I'm glad that you're moving back here. I think that you'll be a good part of it. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Thank you. This concludes the Studio Alchemy podcast. May these thoughts and stories comfort and heal your spirit. May you be filled with inspiration. May you be like the lotus flower and build your home in the muddy water. May you find your voice.